0: Welcome, in everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Origination, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at Burn Origination. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the major places where you can find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and I. You can also connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, Longhorn Podcast at gmail.com. And you can always connect with us on Facebook as well, the Longhorn Podcast. Republic. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's also now on Sling TV, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you?
1: Uh pretty good, you know. I I don't I don't know how you get me on Sling TV. I don't even know how these newfangled technologies work, but you can you can find all oh my goodness. I does that mean you're actually you're putting our our video, my feed goes straight onto the Sling TV? I'm actually the younger of the two of us. I should know this, Gerald. You're the old man. I should be the
0: tech-savvy one. But you can see us on the TV? No, no, not at all. You don't want to see what Kyle and I do uh, behind closed office doors. Uh, So we've got a a pretty full show for you. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit. Texas reportedly has hired a defensive coordinator. school has not officially announced it yet. And Texas likely missed out on its offensive coordinator. So we'll talk about that. We'll bring on Westcott to talk some National Signing Day when you're listening to this. Players will be signing tomorrow, so that's exciting. Um, We'll obviously do some down the 40, and we'll bang the drum. So let's start with the big news of the week. Uh, Reports started circulating on Sunday that the Texas Longhorns would hire Chris Ash, former Rutgers head coach, As their new defensive coordinator, he spent three years, well, two and a half years as the Rutgers head coach before being relieved of his duties this season. Uh, Before that, he spent two seasons at Ohio State as the co-defensive coordinator's and safeties coach a bit of a scheme change not a bit a complete scheme change maybe a bit of an overcorrection hiring a 4-3 guy uh, he plays some press quarters in the secondary this is not necessarily a splashy hire for texas but a guy who's shown some success as a defensive coordinator and did what coaches do at rutgers which is lose and <laughs>
1: That's a tough. That's a tough way to phrase it. Um, there was like three years that Rutgers was w- was good, um, and now they got their guy back. So um, only one man can do it, and, and apparently, uh, we'll see if that happens. No. Uh, 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 okay, so let's say this. I don't think you can judge a defensive coordinator by how well he translates to being a head coach. I think you've seen that from multiple defensive coordinators. Um, certainly, you have your Nick Sabans. You have your people who become unbelievably detail-oriented and bring the same precision and intensity that a defensive coordinator must have to the head coaching role. Of course, you get that. But there's also tons and tons of players. Let's remember, Will Muschamp was the head coach in waiting, um, and he hasn't necessarily lit the world on fire. But there's just there there are there are tons of of. Uh, coaches at the head coach level who were, you know, subpar or just average, who are truly elite in that coordinator role. I mean, we talked about, I don't know if he was elite his whole career, but Manny Diaz, for instance, and having a a bowl game that could save his job at Miami. It's not an uncommon thing for a defensive coordinator to make the leap up to head coach and struggle. That said, I don't know that (laughs) I'm going to give Ash the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give both Coach Herman and the entire you know, uh, athletic department and Mr. Del Conte, specifically the grace of, you know, let's see it work. I'm not going to – there have been people who've panned this out there. There have been people who've praised it and said it's the best thing out there. You know, so you could find whatever opinion you like. I'm somewhere in the middle. I think, you know, there is a history of these two working together to great success. There is a history of Chris Ash – being very good. Anytime you bring someone with championship pedigree and experience at the thing you are asking them to do, I'm okay with that. That's a good thing. Um, I think we, we shall see. I think the, the, the switching to the, the four, four man front is going to be very interesting. Um, I think the press quarters secondary, um, look should, should fit, pretty well. I mean, it seemed like a lot of times in games we would switch to that this season and kind of the inverted Tampa 2. It's something like what you imagine, like what the Pittsburgh Steelers are running uh, on their defense. Um, But if if you saw where we pressed uh, and, and pressed with quarters in the background, we were able to do that relatively well in the last four games of the season, especially in the second half of some games after we gave up big first quarters where we didn't do that. So it seems like it should lend itself relatively well. That said, uh, there's gonna be some growing pains. We all know that, but uh, you know, I'm 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 excited. I'm excited for something new.
0: It's not a splashy hire, like I said. He's not a big name, set the world on fire. But the you know when I when I kind of perused the internet and kind of got opinions on Chris Ash, uh, a lot of the same people that were saying you shouldn't hire. Tim Beck were saying that you should hire uh, Chris Ash as your defensive coordinator, and they kind of characterized his his like style of defense in three ways: where he will coach good fun- fundamentals, kind of simplify the scheme, and he does that to put players in position to just make plays and let people out athlete. Each other, and so I think that if those are the three things that at the end of next year we can characterize this Texas defense, then that's a 180 from kind of the direction where they are now. Which it's, it feels like really it's overly complicated in some spots, and the players are kind of thinking too much, and they're out of position, and fundamentally there are some issues with tackling and things like that. So again, if if an Ash coach defense plays sound fundamentals, you know, has a simple scheme that just lets athletes be athletes that I'm a fan. And, you know, we've seen what Chris Ash can do with talent. Cause that 2014 um, playoff winning team had Eli Apple and Vin Bell and Michael Bennett, Joey Bosa, uh, Garson Conley, uh, just guys that are now were first round picks or you know, Michael Bennett was six round pick, but whatever. Um, and then 2015, his second year there, they were like one of the top, 10, 15 defenses in the country. So, like, that to me, I don't need it. Because the Big 12, you're never really going to have, like, a top 25 defense consistently. But if, if again, three stops a game is really all you need to win a game in the Big 12. Hey, if worst case
1: scenario, you can replicate Gary Patterson's defense, his scheme, and, and his production, um, and you assume that we make the changes we need on, on the offensive side of the ball, which we'll talk about. Um, that makes you competitive in this this league. I mean, OU has made the college football playoff with some of the worst defenses in the country right so i i think like you said getting a couple stops um if he can bring that if, if like you said just getting an extra um down lineman in his scheme gives us a couple more sacks a game that could have been the difference between a number of games this season if you know our press coverage leads to um a few less kind of eight to ten yard wide open completions um to players to, to move the chains that that could maybe end up in uh in a, in a couple more victories for us so so it can make a big difference. It can be the difference when you have, you know, a Sam Ellinger and and the the receivers and and some of the running back production that we've had. It can make the difference for a really good offense. So I think that this could instantly add, you know, another win, two wins, um, even before you talk about what the offensive coordinator in in that new role um, might add to it. So, I mean, you take seven win season this year and you throw two wins on top of it. I mean, maybe I'm oversimplifying a bit there, but I just think, I mean, you, you, you look back at, at that 2015 Ohio state defense and look at it like a, what, what Texas could be, you know, a number nine in total defense and, and, and number two in scoring defense. Like you saw Todd Orlando really adhere to the bend. Don't break. And when that works, it's great when you can give up yards, but still not let people score. That's great. But if you can just not let them score and not give up yards, Gerald, that's even better, and that may seem simple, um, but but that is kind of what you you get from um, from Ash, and you get uh, when you Coach with Fickle. I mean, from from those teams, is you get fundamentals. You get guys don't don't get yourself out of the play trying to make a you know big play. Make the sure-handed play live to fight another down you get fundamental football and it's sad to say but i mean after a large stretch of the past two seasons at ut that just seems like a night and day difference
0: well and you you talk about one more stop texas had three one lot one score losses this year because you look at iowa state two points you look at ou seven points you look at uh, lsu seven points. So like one more stop could be the difference in those games. And, and granted you can write a revisionist history all day, but when you look at the number of one score losses, and I mean, again, think about LSU, Texas was getting a hand on Joe Burrow away from winning that game, or at least being in a shot to winning that game. So it, it's not hard for me to imagine that improving the defense by one stop is not, necessarily out of the realm of possibility. But you mentioned the offense and kind of need to pair that with the offense. We got news on Monday, right before we started recording, usually happens right after we got done. But after kind of a lot of scuttle, uh, scuttlebutt around the, the message boards and Twitter that Graham Harrell was the guy, it seems like Graham Harrell's not the guy because he signed a contract extension with USC to stay the offensive coordinator. There were, it was kind of a two horse race, Going into the offseason, when, when Texas knew that it needed a new O.C., it was a two-horse race uh, with Joe Brady and Graham Harrell. And now both of those guys are off of the table. And it seems like Herman has, has focused on keeping this recruiting class together and flipping some, some key guys in this class. And it seems like Texas may be missing out on some of the coordinators that would make the difference
1: huh yeah you you have to you have to think here right so it seems like herman made a decision a business decision and keeping the class was his his priority and and you also have to think that maybe he did not feel like the offense um was quite as pants on fire right maybe it was not that we have to come in and redo this entire thing um and, and we could talk about why he might have thought that you can talk about whether we think that's correct or or where his headset or what personality type he has that, that maybe you know leads him into that. But I, you know, I think it's very clear that Coach Herman, um, even keeping Tim back on staff, demoting him, said, you know, okay, we need to change, we need to shake things up, something different. Um, it, but I think you're evidenced by a, a good chunk of the season in that not being wrong. There was a cratering. You have to figure that out. But when they uh, they you know, operated at full efficiency or even close to it. There was a lot of times we wanted a little more. They were one of the best units in the country. They, they soared that high this season. And so so if Herman doesn't think you need to come in and entirely change the philosophy, maybe it's not. The splashy hire was never really his... his uh, biggest number one hierarchy of needs um, because he thinks there's just a couple tweaks or some of the play calling changes or a little bit of the philosophy you know kind of um shaking up that 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 puts it over the top and gets that consistency there um you know but again you have sam ellinger you know what you're going to get let's find the right hire to, to get the most out of that next year and build into whatever the future is after him as the foundation of your offense. But, I mean, I, I think the the Herald signing does not tell me all is lost. It, it, it does not tell me that, you know, Texas missed completely here and, and really screwed the pooch. Um, but it also doesn't necessarily, because we don't have any counter news, fill me with a warm and fuzzy yet. I think it just ultimately probably lowered my expectations.
0: All is not lost, right? That's fine. Texas has a ton of talent, but I've said it on Twitter. I've said it on this podcast. Tom Herman needs somebody that he respects enough to be able to challenge him on a call, on going for it on fourth down for the third time in a game right he needs somebody to say Tom I don't care what the analytics say Tom kick the field goal right take the points and I don't know if the people that are out there at least at this point are going to be people that that will do that now granted there could be somebody coming out of left field that shocks us but if Tom hires a guy that's not going to challenge him that's going to be someone that just falls in line with him then we're a year to two years removed from having a complete coaching overhaul. Like that's because, because I think a lot of, and I, I try not to, to be too negative around the, the coaching staff and whatever, but I think a, a lot of the biggest problems this year was that they were too smart for their own good. And mm-hmm. a lot of spots, this team was, was no, the, we, we know this is supposed to work because it's supposed to work. And the analytics tell us that like analytics are great, except for when, the numbers lie. Like everybody says numbers don't lie, but numbers can lie to you. Sometimes I can make the same statistics sound two different ways, right? Saying a quarterback completed 50% of his passes and saying he was nine of 18 are two vastly different situations. So uh, those two things, there's just Texas needs somebody that is able to sit and down and say, Hey, this is what we need to do on offense.
1: I really a hundred percent hear what you're saying. I'm curious with the higher if we feel like we're gonna get that. There is a point like you said of of looking in the mirror though does this is this off season about tom Herman's seeing that himself and and as opposed to I need someone new in to 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 call me on it is there some self-reflection and growth and again if there's not there's a good chance that you don't see the improvement required and maybe you don't see Tom Herman as your coach of 30 years at the University of Texas if he can't do that so unless it's someone external coming in and and and, you know telling him what what he's not or, or what uh he needs to Look closely and think twice about. Um, I think you put some of this impetus on him and say, "Coach, you had a seven-win season this regular season. What are you going to do different? You are an offensive genius. The team cratered four times. You know, this season just could not move the ball offensively. Fine against okay defenses, but you know, like what happened there? What part of 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 that you know was on you? And so I, I'm curious. Whether he ha- he's asking those questions this offseason,
0: we we'll, we'll we'll see how it works out. Hopefully, we'll have some updates for you next week. So now we bring on the man himself, Westcott Eberts, to talk a little National Signing Day. Uh, it is tomorrow now that we will, uh, the day that you're listening to this. So we'll get some uh, insights from him about what Texas is going to look like for National Signing Day. Uh, so let's start off. Texas got a commitment from uh, defensive tackle Sawyer Gorham Welch uh, this week, this weekend on Sunday uh, as a kind of a late push. He was a flip from Oklahoma State. Uh, why Westcott Scott? do you think Texas went so hard after this guy kind of as close to national signing day as they did? And what does he uh, bring to the class?
2: Yeah. One thing that I would point out with uh, Coram Welch is that a lot of projections have him uh, as a best fit, probably playing like as a two or three technique defensive tackle at the next level. Uh, It's certainly possible that if Texas decides to uh, stay in a three man front uh, that he could play outside in the top of four eye position that Todd Orlando was using for the last three years. But Uh, My biggest takeaway from this take is that uh, Gorham Welch is a sign that Texas is moving towards uh, playing more with a four-man defensive front. Uh, That's where he fits the best. Uh, Tom Herman has kind of alluded to that when he spoke last week about why he got rid of um, Todd Orlando and wanting to feature the defensive lineman a little bit more. Uh, But, you know, he's also a guy who played at a very high level at Longview. I believe they won the state championship last year. Uh, good strong guy at the point of attack. And so, um, you know, I think it's also a sign that Texas could use a little bigger body in this class who has the, the ability to play inside. I'm not sure that, that Vernon Broaden is that guy or that that would necessarily be his best use. But, um, you know, with the command of uh, Prince human even mailing, Texas also, you know, had a need for another defensive lineman. So there was a, a need there even before the recent developments with the defensive coordinator
0: big guy seems like a little bit of an understatement six four what pushing 280 so that's that's a big body is a, is a little bit of an understatement
2: yeah no question about that he's got ideal size to be able to play inside like i said i, I don't think he's a guy who really projects to be a nose tackle but um you know he, he could play outside in front or uh you know projects really nicely as a uh, three technique defensive
1: tackle for sure. Nice, and I do think with a with a Coburn size anchor on a defensive line, I'd be very curious to see who they can stick next to him. But so the thing, I think he's the the latest in a class that's um, shaping up pretty well. Um, we obviously, as we're talking signing day coming up right here, um, you want to run through a list of just kind of who we should expect to see um, and 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 give a high level. I think most people have heard on this podcast either from you or otherwise about. Each of these guys, but we can run through um, who we have coming, or or maybe we can do it in a way um, starting in, in levels of excitement. Who should we be most excited about uh, coming in
2: in this class? Yeah, I think a discussion of um, you know who Texas fans should really take a look at and be the most excited about has to start with Arizona running back Bajan Robinson. He's a number fifteen player nationally, uh, the number two running back, a consensus five star prospect. You know, despite what a lot of people think. Texas hasn't signed very many five-star prospects recently. Uh, in fact, there's only three consensus five-star guys who are on the roster right now. Uh, that's Jordan Whittington, Caden Stearns, and, and B.J. Foster. Uh, so Robinson, you know, after missing out on Zach Evans, you know, it was kind of viewed by some people as a generational talent coming out of the state of Texas at running back. Uh, there are a lot of questions about whether Texas could, could fill that position. And, you know, I think um, Robinson probably has a little bit of a higher floor. Um, than, than Zach Evans does. But, you know, Robinson is a guy the you know, I think the, the questions are translating from the uh, type of talent that he faced as a, you know, private school player in Arizona yeah. and uh, being able to, to translate his game to the college level. But at the same time, you know, he's probably the, uh, you know, he might be the best prep running back that Arizona has ever produced. He's certainly the most productive. Um, so he's a guy that, you know, should come in next year and make an instant impact and, having somebody with that level of talent coming in gives Texas a lot more flexibility with what they want to do with guys like Roshon Johnson and uh, Jordan Whittington. Johnson, of course, the former quarterback who transitioned well um, after moving to running back right before the season started. And uh, Jordan Whittington is a guy who played on both sides of the ball in high school and uh, was originally recruited by Texas um, as a wide receiver. And move back out into the slot if Texas wants him to or even could play outside at, at, at flanker if necessary. So you know, Robinson uh, gives Texas a little bit more versatility there and a guy who should be able to step in and you know perhaps even challenge Keontae Ingram for the starting job next year. Uh, so he's at the top of the list. I think uh, the two uh, quarterback uh, pledges are, are also um, guys that Texas should be excited about. You know, After all the attrition of the quarterback position last year, you know, Texas only had two scholarship players with Johnson's move there this year. They'll have much better uh, depth there with Hudson Card and Quinton Jackson coming in. Uh, the question with Jackson, of course, is the uh, extent of the knee injury that he suffered on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, there are some concerns that that could be an ACL injury. Um, you know, of course, we don't know that yet. So, you know, I want to avoid, you know, speculating about it, but that could potentially impact the start of his career at Texas. Um, You know, Jackson is a big guy, 6'2", 220 pounds or so. uh, Plays, has had a ton of success at Duncanville. Has a lot of upside as a quarterback, uh, but also has plenty of upside at at other positions too. And so I think, you know, that's kind of uh, a a theme throughout some of this class. You know, Ty Jordan is a little bit of a loss in in that regard. But there are guys um, who can come in and, and play multiple positions for Texas. Uh, particularly uh, jaden hullabee comes to mind uh DeJohn harrison is another guy so some nice versatility in this class and, and jackson um, is at the top of that list uh, and the question is you know how quickly he can develop texas will will certainly have a new quarterbacks coach next year in addition to the new offensive coordinator um, and so you know how well jackson ends up working with that person will have an impact on his future uh, card is another guy who really has some positional versatility as well. If he can't stick a quarterback, he's regarded as a little bit more, um, a little bit more polished right now than Jackson, but he's also a guy who was, a, I think he was a thousand yard receiver at Lake Travis when he was a sophomore catching passes from Matthew Baldwin. Um, you know, he's a guy a little bit thin uh, listed at about 180 pounds right now. Um, he's going to have to uh, add some strength to be able to remain durable uh, when he's in college, but he's got, you know, really great arm strength, and um, he's another guy who's also uh, competed at a really high level. So, you know, those are really the, the three names that uh, I think Texas fans should uh, really know about going into early signing day on Wednesday.
0: So, should should there be any surprises? Do you expect anticipating surprises uh, as Wednesday rolls around, or, or is this pretty much uh, what's on the paper now is what Texas fans should expect?
2: Most of the pledges have um, affirmed their commitments. And uh, most of them were pretty solid anyway. And I I think that was in some ways probably kind of lucky for Texas. Uh, I think the guys that were wavering, you know, tended to decommit early in the cycle. They did lose two guys after the offensive coordinator changes. Uh, Jordan, as I mentioned, to Utah and Utah product, uh, Van Fillinger, who may also end up at Utah. Um, You know, but right now it it looks like uh, Texas should get, you know, at least 16 uh, of the 17 signatures um, on Wednesday. I don't. I don't think, other than Johnson, that there's anyone who's likely uh, to not sign and, and uh, take their recruitment later. You know, in the process to to officially conclude it as Keandre Coburn and um, Keontae Keontae Ingram did for different reasons two years ago.
1: That's fantastic uh, news to hear. Maybe we'll uh, we'll even get a flip the other way. Who knows? Um, looking at the class as it is right now, though. Speaking of that. What gaps do you see in it? Like, I know you mentioned, you know, potentially we could lose Quentin Johnson, but he is a third receiver in a class um, that has two other listed receivers there. What gaps do you look at this and see, hey, you know, if spots open up, these may be target areas that we need to fill? Yeah, I
2: think uh, two really two spots really stand out to me. Uh, the first one is cornerback. Uh, Texas has uh, Keaton Crawford there, uh, John Tyler pr- product, uh, you know, a guy that, you know, up down the line Texas has more issues at, a running back, he's a guy who projects well to that position. But I really like him as a cornerback. He's the only cornerback in the class right now. Texas suffered decommitments from Ethan Pouncy after his older brother Jordan ended up transferring. They're both landing at Florida now. And then Texas had another uh, decommitment in this cycle. Uh, Joshua Eaton, now mm-hmm. uh, the Houston area product, and so you know, cornerback is a position where I think Texas would like uh, to land another body there. I think even though Texas has good depth at the position. Uh, the, uh, I just don't really feel very comfortable about only taking one cornerback in a cycle. That's a type of thing that if you have injuries or attrition in later cycles or, or just can't land the guys that you want, then you end up with the type of gaps that Texas had this year uh, that caused a lot of problems with the youth, youth and inexperience. And then, you know, more importantly, you know, the linebacker position, you know, Jackson is a guy who could potentially end up there. Jaden Hollowby is a guy who could potentially end up there. Uh, but right now, you know, Prince Dorba is the only guy that they have, and, and his projection may be changing a little bit. Uh, he's a guy who plays on the edge for Highland Park. He was projected as a B-backer in Todd Orlando's system. Uh, but if Texas decides that they want to play a true four-man front, um, you know, they're not going to have that same edge player, uh, you know, the B-backer in Orlando's system, the the Fox player in, um, in Charlie Strong's system. So um, – the linebacker position, I, I think, is is by far the biggest area of need because Texas is, is really thin there. And um, they've had trouble, you know, landing guys at the position. They don't really have that many offers out. Uh, they're trying to flip Tay McWilliams uh, from Baylor. They just missed out on Jaquandis Burns uh, to Minnesota over the weekend. And, and that was one that I think um, really hurt Texas because, um, you know, the Longhorns made a lot of sense for Burns, who, who played a senior year at IMG Academy, but is from Texas. He was an old miscommit, you know, with the coaching changes there, he ended up looking around. And so, you know, that was um, probably the biggest recruitment where uh, the dismissal of Todd Orlando has impacted the Longhorns uh, in terms of uncommitted players so far.
0: We, you mentioned – kind of the the gaps there have you seen or heard any any specific targets that texas is looking at at those spots or is it kind of just a wait and
2: see approach at this point i'm not sure that there's anybody who's an imminent um on you know on the verge of, of picking up an offer i know too is this guy that i was looking at jalen ford a te- he's uh the one of the most recent follows for jeremiah george mm-hmm. who's the linebackers coach for texas unfortunately he's a utah commit he is a, a texas uh, product uh, he would be the number one guy to look out for uh, just kind of based on on the follows from uh, the coaching staff right now uh, I'm not sure that unless he really wants to stay closer to home you know if Texas would have a chance to get in on him and you know of course he could end up signing on Wednesday and that would um, you know render that moot. so I think you know really look for Texas to surface some new guys you know on the radar there I'm not sure that they necessarily Um, want to take a junior college prospect at this point, uh, but they really do need to go and find, you know, at least one player in the high school ranks just so they're not um, in danger of having an injury or two next year, uh, you know, really basically force you to play the only healthy guys at linebacker.
1: Yeah, that's interesting too because I know some other junior college um, gets in the linebacker position have either – had some issues adjusting and, and getting up to the the Orlando system, or um, flat out just haven't been happy with with the way they they fit in last year. So it could be a route, I guess they could look. Um, but you know that's not a sustainable um, pattern for success. So let's hope they can find the right recruit, bring them in uh, with a new defensive coordinator, get that system flushed out. But again, it just makes me think how much the uh, the DeGabriel uh, Floyd kind of the trickle down effect of these these when you miss guys for. Really extreme and, and kind of outlier, crazy reasons the trickle down has uh, felt for years.
2: Yeah, no question about that. And Texas was short on linebacker depth anyway. You know, Floyd was a guy, obviously an early enrollee guy who was expected to contribute early. Uh, that was a huge loss. Yeah. And then, you know, the the stopgap junior college solutions, you know, Gary Johnson was only linebacker taken in the two, 2017 recruiting class. And so, you know, that certainly benefited Texas for a season and a half. Uh, But then he was gone and and Texas, you know, was forced to fill that in. And, you know, as you kind of alluded to, you know, Caleb Johnson came and went pretty quickly, didn't work out. Um, There's some concerns about uh, Jawan Mitchell right now. Uh, He was the only guy who didn't stay on the field for the eyes of Texas. After the Texas Tech game, he pretty much headed, you know, one of the first, the first player into the locker room and, and one of the first people just down on the field to head in that direction. And that was, um, a little bit concerning to me as I stood down there and watched that. So, you know, certainly, you know, if anything happens with him, then, you know, that would put even more pressure on on landing multiple other players in this recruiting class at the position.
0: Well, on that bright note, Westcott, thank you so much for <laughs> taking some time out uh, to, to connect with us, man. If people want to follow you on, uh, on Twitter, where can they connect with you?
2: Yeah, SBN underscore Westcott, W-E-S-C-O-T-T. Uh, and then, of course, as always, find me at uh, com. Well, Scott, thank you
0: so much for taking some time out. And uh, we really appreciate it, man. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. So as a reminder, though, there's a lot of good things happening in that recruiting class. Uh, Texas has three big offensive linemen that they're going to be able to redshirt, which is just my, my favorite thing in the world. Uh, got some safety talent and the 100 yard landlord hashtag best nickname in sports and obviously the skill players at the top b john hudson jaquin and uh those guys are incredible but that brings us to the part of the show where we shine some light on the sports that don't necessarily get as much publicity as they should and we down the 40 and i know i tried to bring it back up but it's going to get sad here for just another second a uh, number two texas volleyball uh shocking upset at the hands of louisville three to two in the round of 16 uh texas fell behind two nothing two sets to none uh, and then one back-to-back sets to force the fifth set uh they lost that fifth set after back-to-back errors gave uh louisville kind of a big run in the middle and it's a shorter set in the fifth one so texas ends what could have been a really special it was already a great season but what could have been an even more impressive season already uh in the round of 16.
1: Yeah, Gerald, the uh, the title drought continues, and it is it is unfortunate. I mean, it is a good place to be that we're like, wow, it's been multiple years, and we haven't even made the Final Four in consecutive years, and and that's a great standard to have. Um, it's unfortunate because it felt like this team had the talent. They had a stretch during the season, and, and I guess it extends to volleyball like any other sport that if you can be hot at the right time, you can win a championship, but they had a stretch during the, the Big 12 play um where they didn't, you know, just drop any sets and just looked relatively unbeatable. I'm very curious if, you know, they could have played with that focus or whatever it is, just had that that, you know, momentum and heat going on if if they could have uh parlayed that in the tournament and, and, and really peaked then what this would have been. Nonetheless, it was a tough run from the start. Um I think they were they were shocked and woken up a little from Albany right in the beginning and thought it might be an upset of upsets. Um but that gave us a reason for pause right from the beginning um, Never truly looked quite like their dominant regular season self. Nonetheless, a really fantastic season. Um, You know, a, a top 16 finish is not the standard for Texas volleyball, though. And Coach Jared Elliott will have um, a ton coming back. We can talk about that uh, as we preview them for next year. But truly a ton of players um, that were young, were, you know, great freshmen last year, a ton of good freshmen this year um, that they can build on. But there is, there is uh, you know, a little... Uh, a little matriculation from the seniors an and end of a, a really really wonderful career um for Michaela White uh who is a senior so um just uh you know uh unfortunate for uh the ladies but again just remember uh, some some really incredible credible games and matches especially over her four
0: year career absolutely and it's so tough to to go out like that especially um Man, it's just the, these these ladies did. I mean, White had an incredible set. Uh, Eggleston and, and Butler had incredible. Like the they they fought their hardest. And again, that short that last short set, I bet if there were a couple more points, they could have flipped it. But that's okay. Uh, men's basketball thought they were going to be another disappointment, but they came back from a six point halftime deficit to win eighty seven to seventy six. Big time win uh, for Texas. We got my man Jace. We got a Jace game mm-hmm. in there. Did it big, Jace Faberest. Team high twenty three points, twenty one of them coming from beyond the arc. That's Kyle. Again, we said it last week or maybe two weeks ago, but this is a game that the team a year ago loses. So this is nothing but positive momentum in my book.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I think we're on the same page there. Of let's both take the positive. Point. It's an 11 point um, win. The first half is a half. I mean, if you really want to get into the micro positive, uh, they had bad stretches during this game and they still had a double digit uh, win. I don't think, again, the competition in Central Michigan was like truly world um, beaters, but they had a great offense that had, you know, scored on teams all season long. Um, And, you know, Texas was able to, in the second half, really clamp down. um, Like you said, Febris, um Matt Coleman, Courtney Ramey. Uh, there was just some, some, some guys who stepped up, and and again, we keep saying we have a a, a garden variety, an assortment of players um, this year that I feel like the depth and the the amount of players who it could be their night is two or three times as deep as it's been in the last, probably in the Shaka era. Just to say that, um, where you know at any given time it could be whoever's hot that night. Who, who brings the team through. They still need to work on the turnovers, I think, especially in that first half, just really, really sloppy. Um, I think Gerald Liddell, I don't know if he's inside his own head or, or, or what, but he, he didn't play a whole lot uh, as Texas uh, Texas made that run. Um, I don't know that Kai Jones is ready right now to step up and take the the role where he's 20-plus minutes a game. Um, but, but you know, again, zooming out, this is a 9-1 team, the best start um, for any Shaka's team, not not just in Longhorns, any Shaka smart team in the first 10 games. So um, take the positives where they are, take the, the medicine where you need it, and, and keep getting better. Um, they have a couple more games before Big 12 play and a really tough Baylor team uh, to, to start that off.
0: I'm not taking it as an insult that they're still... Unranked, I think uh, Texas will just could just keep winning, just keep winning. It doesn't matter what that number is next to your name. If you get into the tournament and win a couple of games, that's all you need to do, right? So it's fine. It's totally fine.
1: Texas unranked this year, nine to zero. Texas with a number next to their name this year, zero
0: and one. It's fair. It's just like the stats where Texas lost all the games it played on grass this year. Now that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, big Bertha. And we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? So this,
1: uh, this week, an interesting kind of season ending recap. I love the season of year end recaps. I love my Spotify recap playlist. Although sometimes I'm like, did I really listen to that much Ariana Grande. Um, but, uh, I, I assume my wife had my, had my uh, Spotify. Um, but you know, Love that. YouTube's got its recap, um, the year-end wrap-up. Love a good year-end. Let's look back. In in the same vein, college football uh, is paused. It's done for the regular season. Before the bowl season is a great time to look back in the Gentleman's uh, with the uh, pro football focus, or I guess the college football focus um, team as well, took a look at the 2019 college football season. Um, and as I often do in the burn orange lenses, I scanned it very closely because I'm very curious. I can't watch every game about who's really shining when you dig down into the numbers, into the analytics, into the Grind the tape. Um, but I also obviously scan it with a burnt orange lens. And there was four things that jumped out when they ranked kind of the best of everything, as they called it. Um the first was, you know, they they really got into quarterback play about who was the best short passer, intermediate passer, long passer on the move, stationary with pressure. They really looked at some different looks, and so you get a pretty good idea. Um, it kind of harkens back to Texas's game plan um, questions, but uh, named the best quarterback versus pressures this season, Joe Burrow, which again the guy won a Heisman. Should not be entirely surprised that he knew how to uh, wiggle, shake, skirt, and get and get a ball on the numbers. Um, and it, it helps because LSU's Justin Jefferson was named the best receiver in the country on crossing routes. So again, we saw that against Texas. Um, if Burrow can move and stay alive long enough on the pressure and his receivers can slide around, someone's going to get open and he has a real good eye for finding them. Another quarterback, though, you may not have expected, they named the best passer outside of the pocket. And it was actually LaTex Jamar Smith. So Texas was able to get on the right side of one of these award winners um, and kind of hold him into check, but for a very good Louisiana Tech team, actually, in retro, one of Texas's best wins, the best part of the entire list of 20-some-odd awards was they looked at the best receiver at running a slant route in college football this season. And to no surprise to anyone who listens to this podcast, the man, Devin The Duve, Mr. Duvernay, was uh, crowned the champion, and and you really can't even argue it. He was obviously wonderful uh, on that route. He was a perfect 13 for 13 on catchable targets uh, on slants, and that just speaks to his unbelievable hands. But he also turned those 13 catches into 263 yards and (laughs) uh, one touchdown, and his, his 13, this is the stat, Gerald, Thirteen of those, eleven went for first downs, one went for a touchdown, uh, so only one of his thirteen slant catches did not either move the chains or put points on a scoreboard. Just unbelievable. Get that man some bowl game slants.
0: I love it. And and that just continues to add to the context that we've talked about, that this is probably one of the best single seasons in school history, probably second to, to Jordan Shipley's uh, 2009 campaign, just missed out on being receiver of the decade. Maybe we'll go to his younger brother, Jackson, but that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, so it's it just Duvernay has been. Like And I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it, like, on this podcast, our preseason preview, I was like, man, they're saying that, that DuVernay is stronger than he – has a good mix of strength and speed. And I it just – it felt like coach speak for trying to fill a slot after losing Lil' Jordan Humphrey and, and for two years ago, weirdly losing Reggie Hempo maps And it proved that, that it was not the case at all. And DuVernay is just the freaking dude. And so I'm banging the drum this week on uh, – saw a weird report on Twitter that a woman in Houston spent a couple thousand bucks on two uh kind of derelict Storage units, and if you've ever seen shows like Storage Wars or things like that, when people uh, don't pay their bills, the way that the storage company tries to recoup that money is by auctioning off the rights to whatever's in these storage units. And so, uh, this woman saw that the two units were owned by a Vincent Young, uh, and so she she bid she bid what she says is several thousand dollars on these two storage units. And when she opened it up, found memorabilia that she claims it hasn't been verified yet uh from vincent young including a rose bowl trophy and a game worn helmet from the rose bowl and so one it hasn't been verified but it's already going for like five figures on ebay was the last i saw for some of this stuff so like she's trying to make some money on it i get it uh one if you're buying sports memorabilia on ebay be super careful just throwing that out there like can't verify that until you get your hands on it so just be careful, but two, it's crazy to me that like this is still out there and the, like that this is something that I could, if I had the like expendable income, just drop twelve grand on. I could go buy one of the most important pieces of sports memorabilia in Texas, in the University of Texas history. Like it's just crazy that this is out there, and it's kind of kind of sad that. um this is where the state of vince young is at this point
1: yeah vincent young it is it is very sad um this is actually great news when you when you told me about this story i did send it to my dad who loves storage wars but i worry that this story Paired with, you know, his, I don't remember which one's his favorite. I think it's the husband and wife, do I don't remember. Anyways, paired with their catchphrases uh, in this story. I worry my dad is going to try to be a storage warrior, um, whatever you call the person who goes and does these, these flippings. And we're just going to have so many, like, wicker chairs that are half broken that my dad thinks he can you know, buff out and flip back and, and make thousands of dollars. Knowing him he probably can. not But uh nonetheless I, I worry for my mom's sanity and our are the cleanliness of our back porch. But um yeah, you're right, Gerald. This is this is a wild one. This is uh
0: you sent me this link and I had to click it to verify that I actually believed it, so crazy world it is a super crazy world now i'm trying to find the most accurate price for this stuff because i mean if everybody chipped in a couple of bucks we could totally buy it no i'm just joking (laughs) Uh, but so i i don't know where else to go with that other than it's one of those weird pieces of news that i think we kind of have to talk about but that's all we've got for you this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet
1: oh you can find me on twitter at kyle carpenter you can follow the texas pregamer at Texas Free Gamer.
0: You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GHGoodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email. LonghornPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook em.
1: Hook em. Once it gets burnt, then you get ash.